This is Clayton House Entertainment X. For part two with Celia Keenan-Bolger, we dive deeper into the importance of honesty, particular roles that have taught her a lot about herself. We discuss To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway and, of course, The Gilded Age. So I hope you enjoy part two with Celia Keenan-Bolger. Is there a particular role that has taught you the most about yourself? Ooh, that's such a good question. The first thing that comes into my head is a, it was this, it was like a role that I, not a lot of people saw. It was a play that I did off Broadway when I was pregnant with my son. It was a Sarah Rule play called The Oldest Boy. It was at Lincoln Center and it was a beautiful play about a mother who was married to a Tibetan man and they had a child that they had to give away to monks because they believed that he was the reincarnation um, of a of a monk. And it was so outside of my, in like anything that I really knew about. And I think in doing it, because it asked so much of me, both because it was the first time I also had been playing young people for so long um, between like Spelling Bee and Peter and the Star Catcher, I was finally playing a grown-up. So that felt like its own significance. But I was also playing a mother while I was actually in real life becoming a mother. So I was in the first two trimesters of my pregnancy. And I think that these ideas about Buddhist principles and the way that they're, that that religion views suffering and views attachment were so outside of the way that I was looking at my life, but that also resonated in a way that was somewhat surprising to me. Mm. And then I think in terms of how I became a mother and what I brought into the the early stages of motherhood, like that play had such an impact. And and Sarah Rule, who is also a mother, had such an impact on how I viewed trying to be an artist and a mother at the same time. And so that's that really felt like I don't know that that all of those things were already inside of me and like re- that the play reflected what was inside of me, but the play changed me. And and I think, again, like brought me into alignment with some parts of myself self that had been that hadn't been explored up to that point. So it, it was a real it felt like a real turning point, both in my career and in my life. In in your career of theater and TV and film, how how have you found the balance between letting things happen and making things happen? Ooh, that's a really, um, I don't know if I have an answer to that. I think I certainly know about myself that I'm extremely performance driven, that I like, um, the hustle that I like. I don't, um, do so well with a lot of downtime 
And so my motor is has always sort of been oriented towards productivity, towards heat. like if I don't have something going on, then creating an opportunity for myself or sure. saying yes to everything. Like if even if something comes along where I'm like, eh, I'm not that interested in this, but like I want to have something to do. Mm. And I think especially early in one's career, that that is a good way to function. Mm-hmm. Um, that that being in a lot of rooms and being close to artists who know more than you do is a kind of education that you can't necessarily get at university. And that had a really big impact on how I developed myself as an actor. But I think over time, understanding you know, there's so much rejection also Mm. in what we do and really believing that jobs that you don't get aren't meant for you as opposed to feeling like you're not good enough or that there is something inherently flawed about you that (laughs) made it so that you didn't get that job. Like, I think that that shift of when I think of trying to release some of the like holding on of a career or the control of a career, Mm -hmm. it feels a lot like the response to things not working out is something that can, again, is like a work in progress, but feels like an important part to cultivate in oneself, especially because there is so little that we can control that the places, you know, where we have that modicum of 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 control over our reaction or you know how things go down we want to try to really harness that and use it to our advantage instead of feeling like i mean i i think there were many years when i was in a sort of spiral around things that didn't work out or feeling just like it was a real reflection of who I was, that I was somehow deficient because I didn't get a job or because they went a different direction, as opposed to thinking like, maybe these two things, that job and you are not meant to be together. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not your job. Mm -hmm. So that's somebody else's job. So how do you then go forth with what comes up next? And are you going to let this disappointment impact what might still be ahead of you? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's so it's so tricky when especially in performing, right? Because there's so many other factors <laughs> than whether or not yes. someone is quote unquote good. And mm-hmm. listening, I feel like people who listen the best to the signs and the paths, it really will I mean it all works out in the end for all of us. I do believe that. But mm-hmm. the people who listen really well when a sign comes up, it really makes life an, not easier, but more enjoyable ride because life is always giving you signs is another belief I have. Right. How, yes. how have you through performing? Cause, and I will speak on, um, to kill a mockingbird. It, I remember your performance from years ago because of mm-hmm. how real and in the moment it was, it was not, I would, you know, it's acting, but it's real and the emotion and the energy in the theater changed and you don't forget that, you know, how have you gotten better? And I feel like that comes from listening. So I'm prefacing all of this with a thank you for being mm. so great. <laughs> and with performing and being honest in your performances, how have you gotten better at listening to life and other people and conversation? Mm. 
I really appreciate you saying that about To Kill a Mockingbird. I think there's so much about acting that is, you know, of course, about listening to the people around you. But I think if I, when I really think about To Kill a Mockingbird, because I did that play for a year and because it was so rigorous, I think I was dependent on Gideon Glick and Will Pullen, who played Jem and um, Dill, in a way that when on the days when I didn't have it in me, I remember Will just being like, I'm your net. I got you. And I was like, what a gift that on the days when we don't feel like we have our full selves to bring, that we might depend on other people to like give us that lift. And I think I grew up in a household where self-reliance was like the thing that was prized the most, like getting yourself together and getting out the door and like both in the micro and the macro mm. was very, there was a lot of value put on that. And so this idea of relying on other people, of leaning on other people, of listening to other people's advice or of of trying to um, not expect that you should be able to do it all yourself. I think I've really learned through acting how much better I am as an actor when I am really present inside of the experience with the other people that I'm with and how that translates into life. Mm. I think even in, I've been like just talking about listening, like I'm so mindful at this point in my life when somebody says something and a thought comes into my head and I basically stop listening for the rest of the time that person is talking so that I can get my point in when they're done talking, which means that I've heard half of what they had to say and missed the other half. Right. And like, what does it look like to say, to have the thought come in and to believe that it will either still be there at the end of that other person's thought or that it won't and that there will be another thought that emerges because I actually listened to the whole of what they had to say. And I think this idea as an actor that you are listening with the rigor that you want to be heard. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. That you're trying to, that, that I want to try to like thread that into my real life as well. That this idea that we can be more present with one another if we're like not performing listening, which I also am really good at, but actually <laughs> listening. Sure. And I think, you know, especially inside of a long run of a show, listening becomes so hard, like because you know every line that's coming because you've done it over 500 times, like it really becomes a different kind of practice. And I yeah. think in To Kill a Mockingbird, this idea that I could still try to be present. And even like, this sounds kind of woo-woo, but like 
is listening just with one's ears? Like, how are you, is there like a full bodied listening that's like receiving what someone is giving you that's not just orally? And I think over a long period of time, if you're doing a show, you start to hone different parts of yourselves that are, that that, is, that can be receptive to what other people are giving you so that you're not just like line, 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 and like going back and forth, but that there is a real, um, a genuine flow to things that you maybe have said, you know, hundreds of times. And that I think in, in life that that really feels as important if we want to be good friends and good, you know, I think curiosity is such a, a great part of, of being an artist and, and being a person. And it's hard. I find myself sometimes, especially if I'm passionate about something, my ability to stay curious and stay listening can reduce because I'm so excited to share Hmm. what I, what I know or what I have to, you know, impart and just, you know, again, the practice of trying to stay open to something that I may not have heard before or hearing something in a different way feels like, um, again, you know, just, you just have to work at it. And sometimes you're successful and sometimes you're not. It's all, it's all a practice. It seems like in terms of the Gilded Age, which has been fantastic to see you in, I'm curious how that listening has changed and or not in doing things, but maybe three, four, five, eight times, and then moving on and never revisiting it. How has that Uh, changed the present moment for you in performing? You know, I, I think the gift of that, I mean, there are so many gifts of that job, but I think up to the Gilded Age, I had, you know, done a lot of guest stars on television shows that were basically well-oiled machines where I was coming in and I was really trying not to screw up everybody else's day that I wanted to be sort of dutiful and know my lines and hit my marks. And that was kind of the beginning and end of my performance. And Mm. when you are a regular on a television show and you're showing up over and over and over again, you, there is a freedom emerges that I think really when we start, when I started the Gilded Age, I felt like, just don't mess up. Like, just do what people are expecting. Hit your marks, say your lines. And that when you're given more time on a television set, you realize that what the camera actually loves is spontaneity and Mm -hmm. and a genuine reaction. And so it kind of, it goes back to the listening of it, of like actually having a back and forth with your scene partners and also keeping yourself alive to whatever comes up in that take. And I think, you know, theater actors, I, I do believe are, are so good at being alive to the moment, but I do think because I was so used to what you were saying, like doing things over and over and over again, I had something in my head that believed like, just give them like something that feels the same every time. Mm -hmm. And over the course of filming, as I'm like working with Carrie Coon, I was like, oh my God, she is giving 
just a t that she's giving the editors gold because every take she does has a little different flavor. And watching someone like that work, I was like, I, I don't have the technique that she does, but I can at least stay open and present and not married to the first choice that I made and to really try to again, I think just give some different options and to hear things differently and to, you know, not be obsessed with continuity or like, did I pick this up at the right place? You know, that there is some leeway that I think mm. having been on a television set now for so many more days than I ever was before that I feel a kind of freedom inside of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I can only imagine, <laughs> especially when you're working. I mean, as you are one of them, all of these top performers, it's just... 100% real the second yeah, it starts. And, you know, the other <laughs> amazing part of that job is because we're in the downstairs, it's basically Jack Gilpin, Michael Cerveris, Doug Sills, Aaron Willamy, and me. And we're like this tiny little troop that like we sit around that table or we're in that kitchen and we, it feels like we're just this ensemble that gets to keep coming back together so we have our own in, inter, internal relationships inside of the scenes but we also feel a kind of freedom with one another because we've been doing it together so much and like that also just feels like such a great gift of that show do you have any most gifted books or favorite books that you love to read I got to tell you, I'm reading such a good book right now that I have to talk about that's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Um, I can't remember who wrote it, mm. but I can imagine that I'm going to gift that book a fair amount. One of my go-to books is a graduation speech that Ann Patchett wrote called What Now?, that I think as an artist and or as an actor, so much of what we are asking ourselves so often is like, okay, so that job is done. And now what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's a, that's a book that I have given a lot that really, it's like bite-sized, but the wisdom runs deep. And I feel like every time I reread it, I'm like, oh God, yeah, that's just so helpful. Metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? The first thing that comes to mind is both. Okay. People would be like, what is this? But I think for so long in my life, it felt important to have the binary to say like this is good and this is bad or this is right and this is wrong and I think what I'm coming to terms with as I get older is that if we can't hold two things at once we are missing so much of the complexity and the the beauty and the mystery of this life and that I think it feels really easy for us to stay in a comfort zone of like one thing as opposed to maybe looking I'm, I'm thinking like politically right now 
how easy it is for me to just write off people that don't that I don't agree with hmm. and what it does for me to really look at both sides which is not to say um that there can't be accountability or that it's going to change my mind but I do think having broadening our context and broadening the way that we see the world mm. is really important, particularly in times like right now where we are, it feels like we're so divided, like staying in your own camp and holding your beliefs very close and and not really bringing in the both of it all. I got to come up with a better word than both, but I think you sort of understand what I'm saying. This idea, it makes sense like two things at once. It does. Yeah. And if another one comes after this conversation though, do send it over because okay. we were allowed to have more than one. <laughs> yeah. Great. 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 This conversation has been so incredibly, um, honest and open and deep diving. So I thank you mm. for being so, you know, vulnerable really to, to share this. I, you know, I've learned something it's made listening to you and your journey has made me a better person. And I know it's going to do it for everyone else who listens to this. So I thank you. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up today? I don't think so. I'm just so grateful that you're, that you're, that you're making this podcast and that you're asking the questions that you're asking, because I do think for a long time, it, it's so easy to be like, and I'm, I mean, I'm totally guilty of this as well, where I'm like, I just want to know like about people's careers and how they got into things. And, but I think sort of broadening the lens, it just helps us, you know, I think at the end of the day, we're all doing our best. And I think podcasts like this really help us do a little bit better. And so I, I'm, I'm so happy to be here and I'm so grateful to, um, to have this conversation with you. People of the world, Celia Keenan Bolger. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.